One of the things I've got going for me is that I have no problem making a complete ass of myself. Um, if it leads to something eventually that's going to be really good that I wouldn't have come across if I'd played it safe, you know. I think if you can embrace failure as easily as you can embrace success, I think it helps you as a writer and it helps you uh, evolve to a certain extent or reach your potential. It, it, it enables you to reach your potential uh, far better if you can, if you can cope with, with uh, personal and creative failures. I really think it's important to have failures. For growth. For growth, because it's not something... I mean, we're so... This kind of homogenized idea that we have, there should be no death, there should be no illness, everything is distanced that has any kind of smack of uh, negativity about it. But I really want to feel despair. And boy, have I felt it in my time. (laughs) But I wanted to go through those things because they're so essentially part of the rounded life that we live, you know. And you're not fulfilling life to its fullest if you're not able to plumb the depths of, of misery and failure. They are as essential as all the great euphoric things that you, you hope to achieve. You, know? you learned that lesson so long ago or you wouldn't have made the changes in your career and personal well, I, life. I, I, I encountered it long ago. I'm not sure that I learned much from it in the beginning. I think it was continually running into it eventually made some kind of sense to me. And I'm saying, okay, I, I understand what something is telling me I should become accepting of this, you know. And I think it's the accepting point really helps you through it. Such a phase of the sexy Hello, listeners of True North Nerds. No, your ears did not deceive you. That was the voice of the late, great David Bowie. And uh, probably one of the few times you will ever hear David Bowie on this program in terms of an interview. Um, It's uh, Brent sitting with you uh, today. And um, I don't know really how to do the rest of this. Uh, That interview was taken from the audiobook uh, of a friend of mine and friend of the show, uh, Jeff Woods. The the book is called Radio Records and Rockstars. If you've been a longtime listener, you probably remember hearing uh, promos for uh, the Indiegogo campaign that uh, Jeff was doing in order to help raise uh, some funds in order to get the audio version of the book done. Um, as it turns out, the audiobook is done. It is very, very good. Uh, much like the written book was very good, but this, uh, this has a different flavor to it. So, um, I don't know who it was, but somebody said that you should never meet your heroes. Um, I've gotten lucky in the, the fact that, uh, the, the, a lot of the people I look up to in, especially in terms of interviewers and things of that nature, have been uh, really cool to me, and uh, that goes doubly for Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I met on the set of a television show that I appeared on on Byte TV years and years ago. Um, he uh, rather enjoyed the name of the podcast I was hosting at the time, and uh, we kind of kept in touch here and there. And I ended up working for a company that was translating his show into text. And we got to know each other a little bit better. And uh, Jeff is just an awesome dude. So I I like promoting, one, uh, people I like and people who are nice. And two, uh, projects that I really dig. So this fell into both of those categories. And uh, I traveled up to uh, a little bit up north from where uh, the the True North Nerd Studios are to uh, sit down and interview Jeff about his audiobook and about uh, everything that's kind of gone on with the book since the last time I spoke to him for uh, Geek Heart uh, uh, two, three years ago at this point. So uh, the, the following is um, just... He and I sitting down talking about the book, talking about life, and uh, 
probably you will get the the, the definite feeling that um, this is really what it's like in certain parts when two music nerds uh, sit down and talk uh, their favorite bands with one another and how they just can kind of geek out. So um, I hope you enjoyed the interview and I will be back at the end to uh, just uh, give you a little bit more information on what's coming up on True North Nerds. Until then, this is my sit down with Mr. Jeff Woods. So Jeff, you've got uh, you've got the audiobook out. And the the sequel to well not the sequel the the adaptation to your first book. Last time we we actually sat down and talked was the first book uh, was the book was the done. book the printed book yeah um, which yeah was you were just uh, you were just selling it at that point I think. summer of uh, 2016 it yep. was it was out that May and uh, I met with a lot of press that June June 2016 so we're coming up you know two and a half years. The long goal was always the audio book because you're dealing with interviews with rock stars. Mm. It really is nice to hear them. Yep. Um, reading them is one thing, but you have to start at the beginning. You have to start with a printed book. So I did. And after a couple of years, I thought I really need to get this audio out and share it with people. The cool thing, I think, Brent, is that some people who really enjoyed the audio book get another uh, pass with with the benefit of having to hear the interviews rather than just read them. So it's getting a second life, even with the people that already had it. Yeah, so the goal was always the audiobook. Yes, sir. But how long did it take to because there was a, we had a couple year gap in between. Yeah, I thought there would be about a year gap. I thought that was a reasonable amount of time, you know, to uh, to let people around the world know there's a book out that they might like to check out if they're rock fans. That went well, and I thought, well, after 12 months the audio will follow. Mm. It was a bigger project that I had imagined, you know, uh Everything is in life, right? You want to rip out that door and move it over there in the basement of your house. And you're like, oh, that'll just be the afternoon on Saturday. Bob, why don't you come over? We'll get that done. Yep. And then Monday, you're like tired and frustrated and you're, you're, you're not finished yet. Yeah, you've, you've got the door off, but there's not a new one up yet. <laughs> right? Everything's like that, including putting an audio book together. And so this was no exception. But it's out. Audible, iTunes, people are digging it. Even my dog's digging it. I can hear him right now crying to uh, <laughs> to come out and join us in the studio here in uh, beautiful Thornbury, Ontario. You made the trek from your home. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a nice drive too. Like especially when you get to that part where uh, the lake is where you can in... see Georgian Bay. Yeah. yeah, when that becomes in view, I kind of like you know my lungs open up and I breathe again. I I grew up at um, my uh, family has a cottage in Honey Harbor, so I grew up like spending weekends on it, and it was something I didn't appreciate until I like I hit my late teens and twenties because I like was forced to go up there, and now it's like when I can go up there or my wife's family's cottage is like I I take any chance I can. Oh, get, it's, it's so. special. Well, yeah, especially if you had access as a kid, and then you got busy with life and school and work and family, and then. Gee, I want to get back to that. Yeah, those cottage days where the responsibilities were fewer and the lake was big and beautiful, and you could, even if you did nothing, even if you stare out the window and look at it, that's pretty cool. So back to the the audiobook. Technically, what went into the audio version of it that you mm-hmm. maybe weren't prepared for or didn't didn't realize when you were starting? I knew the nuts and bolts of uh, producing it, which was. I'm going to narrate all the stuff that I wrote about my own life in radio and records. That's pretty obvious. And then, you know, most of the chapters have an accompanying interview, uh, sort of relevant to the to the chapter that, that, that it's placed in. And it was the editing of that interview to make it as close to the written mm. version as possible. Because, you know, not everything's gold yeah so let's take let's take 75 percent of each of these interviews <laughs> and uh, and make them available in an audio form so that was fun actually uh, doing the editing the challenge was Bren, as you know interviews happened all over the world i mean largely in mm-hmm. toronto and new york and la some in london you know, some in the countryside you know on a boat with david gilmore so you have all these different sources 
and different formats of tape. You know, back in the day, we had cassettes and we had we had reel to reels and we had uh, digital and digital audio tape and now digital period and and so all these different things. And I couldn't find the machines sometimes to oh, play was... this stuff back. In particular, a digital audio tape machine, which was the norm in the late nineties. When I was going to radio <laughs> school, it was this is the future. The, this is, yeah, yeah. And right? I was the uh, I was the last school or last class at Humber to learn reel to reel editing. That, that the Angus Young interview in the book, as you speak of reel to reels, that was the last one I uh, edited on tape back, oh, okay. back in like ninety seven, ninety eight, and and that's in there. But you could hear that it's a little muffly because tape was a oh, little okay. muffly. That, yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's interesting, but there, it definitely for the audiobook version, uh, I'm about halfway through at this yeah. point. It it kind of gives a weird authenticity to, to right. the audiobook because yeah. it's like you can hear also as your your voice changes a little bit as it's you're getting true. older yeah, or, yeah. or when you were a little bit younger stuff like oh, that gosh, yeah. and i, I kind of like that myself uh there's time stamps on it yeah, yeah not only with the way the tape sounds way. but the way i sound and just the way the way it comes together and you do see the progression now, your book, uh, one of the things that I was impressed with when I read the, the book originally was you were very honest about yourself, yeah. your your past loves, marriages, uh, mental health. Exercising whole, demons, I call it. Yeah, the whole nine yards. Mm. And I, I imagine when you were putting some of that together, there were certain aspects of that book that may have been harder to write or easier to write than others just because it involved confronting stuff that you yeah, talked about yeah facing yourself is is holding a mirror up and and being honest and, and and laying it down on on paper typing it as it were into a computer um but my ex-wife who was my wife at the time and we didn't know that the relationship would survive when i was writing the book but she was generous in that she said you know be honest it's not a book unless you're completely honest mm. I'm about 98% honest. There's some <laughs> stuff you just can't include. Well, yeah. Uh, but she said, you know, be honest. And if, if at the end of the six or eight months it takes for you to write it, we still have a relationship, then then great. And if not, at least you'll have a book. So we split up, but I do have the book. So when you got to the audio version of it, was it easier to to go back and look at that? Oh. Or, did, or now that you're oh. you're a little bit older and wiser too, is it... Is there certain things that you go back and like now understand a little bit more of yourself? From there's there's after definitely a, writing it. There's definitely it's a great point. It's a greater understanding, and 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 it really took me to a place in my life, having gone through the process of writing it, having lived with it for a while, going back to it and narrating. It's one thing to read it; it's another thing to narrate. You say, to say it out loud yeah. to yourself in a room by yourself that you're going to share with the world. It was a bit harrowing. I think that's why. I always say everything happens when it should, and that sounds so basic and rudimentary and simple, but it's deeper than that. Sometimes you're working on a project, and it's not coming together, and you're fighting it, and you don't know why, and you're frustrated. And when it's all said and done, you look back and think, that happened as it should have happened, when it should have happened, and those roadblocks and obstacles were there for a reason. It wasn't supposed to be ready until right now. Hmm. But there was dreading along the way, of actually saying this stuff out loud. And how was it going to sound? Was I going to be embarrassed by it? Was I going to be ashamed by some of the things I'd done in my life as I, again, mm. held up the mirror? And I was, in many cases. However, I mean, no pain, no gain. It did change me. It changed me massively. Around the time when the book came out, I made a huge change in my life, and I and I met a new woman, and, and I'm actually faithful and loyal to her she's in the midst of reading the printed copy of the book interesting she was the first to get the audio book because oh, i wanted okay. I, I wanted to test to see if it yeah. was working so i sent her i sent her a, a link i said will you make sure this is working she said it works great it sounds good i'm really enjoying it she goes i want to i want to read it first and then i want to hear it i said just be careful i mean i've told you who i am but you're going to read it all in mm -hmm. detail I don't want you to run away at the end of it, but you might. So she's about halfway through the printed version, and we've had many conversations about why she would run away and why she's not going to run away. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, though. And, and, well, the transparency is huge. Yeah. 
She's like, oh, I know you did all this stuff. She calls me the playboy. I said, well, that's a little bit dramatic. And she said, no, it's not. <laughs> Relative to you know the rest of the world in her estimation. I said, well, it's not like rock star playboy. Mm -hmm. She goes, it's pretty goddamn close. But she's okay with it now because there was a chapter in my life. And I had to remind her, that, don't forget the book came out three years ago. And yep. it was about stuff that happened before that. Mm -hmm. So we all change and grow and hopefully evolve and become better people. And I... Hope that I have. I know that I have. Well, <laughs> I know that you I were have. all right to me before that. If that <laughs> oh yeah, any, we were we were romantic. No, <laughs> I didn't. Very true. I, I wasn't loyal. I didn't know how to be. I I never thought long term. I, it's ridiculous to go and get married and say those vows, but I never really looked thirty years down the road. Mm. I always looked at. I could see a year or two. That seemed like long enough to look ahead. I was just happy to be alive tomorrow morning. But but people do these vows, and they actually stay together for 10 and 20 and 30 years. And now I actually feel for the first time at the age of 54, about to be 55, that I can do that. Because the rest of your life doesn't seem so long when you're 54. Yeah. When you're 30, it's infinite. Mm. So <laughs> I felt like I was really faithful because I lasted two years in a relationship. But they didn't see it that way because we had vows and uh, they thought this was forever. And I was just such an asshole in relationships, looking back. So it's great to be where I am now. And to have a book out in audio form. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, you got to revisit, the, other than revisiting the stuff on yourself, you got yeah. to revisit the, the interviews that you had done. That was really the most fun for me. That, that was the, the part of the process that as a rock fan yeah. made me so happy. Because when you're in this conversation, I mean, you're present and I'm present. When you're sitting with McCartney, which I haven't done yet, but when you're sitting with David Bowie or Mick Jagger or Bob Seger, as much as you're present, you're kind of in awe, particularly if it's the first time. Mm. And you miss a lot of what's happening because you're just kind of like buzzing and vibrating with the fact that it is happening. So when you go back and listen, you're like, wow, I don't remember him saying that in that way. That's really profound. I don't even remember asking that question, which was not a bad question after all. And their reaction to it was so positive and they were so forthcoming and happy that you asked it. It's, it's like all over again. You get to go through the... It's even better than the first time because you're really present for it. And I did that for the 25, 26, 27 interviews that are in the book. And each time I was surprised, shocked, and very content with the results. Was there an interview for the book, uh, both print and audio, that didn't make the cut that came close? It's was a, there, it's a was really there good one? point. Some of them were technical because, uh, let me think. Uh, let me just flip through. I've got it in front of me. Um, oh, the, 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 the Nikki Six we did in an auditorium at Canadian Music Week in Toronto okay. once. And, 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 and the way it was recorded, it was very hollow, big room with a lot of people. But those are big ballrooms at the, yeah. at the Royal York Hotel. And, and it didn't sound pleasing to the ear as an audio book. It sounded great in the room if you were there live. But I just thought it's a little fatiguing on the ear to hear it back with this cavernous sounding audio. Mm. So I cut that. I also had to tape on uh, on uh, Tommy Lee, you know, same band Motley Crue. There was a Motley Crue sort of chapter in the book. I didn't include that either because it was, I didn't think it was fair to Tommy. He was in an interview at, at Q107 years ago, and it was a very combative interview. It was a very oh, tense okay. interview with my old friend Howie Kogan. And uh, it ended badly, and Tommy threw his headphones down and split, and really? there, was, there was swearing, yeah. and there was acrimony. And, and it, it, in a way, it's really humorous. Mm. But I, I didn't want to be sensational about the whole thing, and, and I just thought it was it was more respectful to everyone involved to leave that out. Yeah, it's in the it's in the printed form, which is kind of fun. I transcribed it, but you don't get it in audio. Most everything survived, though. I guess the Nikki, the Tommy, what else didn't survive? the The Aussie didn't survive because again, here's the funny thing: of the many times I sat with Aussie, we were in the Orange Lounge in Toronto, and he had a new album out. But he his outfit that day, I don't think he picked it himself, Sharon. Must have chosen it for him. Get this. It's like a scarf made out of chain mail. Interesting. <laughs> it's, it's this heavy sort of metal chain-like yeah. scarf around over his suit jacket or T-shirt or whatever the hell he was wearing. And he had a lapel mic, as did I. And every time he moved, even a hair, the, the chain mail scarf would interfere with the lapel mic. And it would, 
oh, it was this oh, okay. noisy mess of an interview. So listening back, it's just, again, not great for the yeah. ear. So I chopped that out. <laughs> I left some references to Ozzy in because how could you not? He is a funny man. That didn't survive. But by and large, everything sounded good, and I was, I was thrilled about keeping it all in. The Courtney Love whole interview, I have to tell you, was at first I thought, is this even worth hearing? And I did a few chops on it and took a few things out that were unnecessary. Mm. In the in the way it appears in the book, and I didn't chop it up to to, to, yeah. to mislead anyone. It's, it's, I didn't change things around as yeah, such. Just, I just took some stuff out that you yeah, didn't need just to hear. For content, extraneous purposes. shit went away, and the yeah. good stuff stayed. And it is quite enlightening. And the fact that Melissa Oftemar, the bassist in Hole, um, and, and a woman from Montreal who's a great musician, is in it. Really gives it that yin and yang because Courtney's so intense and mm. so out there and so manic and Melissa's so calm and easy and so the juxtaposition of those two voices and the guitarist from Hole, Eric Erlinson, it made for actually a great interview. But at first, I thought I can't even include this. It's weird because uh, for whatever reason, on the downloaded version, yeah. I don't know if it was just a setting I had, but it skipped to that chapter oh, right off weird. the bat. <laughs> so, like, and, and weirdly, I just kept it like that for a little while. I'm like, well, the, I, I've read the book. This will give me a little bit of a a well-rounded jumping point if it keeps going like that. <laughs> to go from Courtney Love to to, to Jeff Becker's so they would, think, would actually, be. Actually, no, I think it skipped It skipped to one of just your chapters and then it did steal, the Steely Dan interview. <laughs> which is which, funny, isn't it? Yeah. I, it's, it's odd because um, I would... I got into Steely Dan in my 20s because yeah. my, uh, my uncle, who was my... Aside from my parents, was my other music guru. Okay, and uh, he was the guy who was like, "Well, if you like that, here's a stack of other stuff you should be listening to, and bring it back and tell me what you thought, and I'll tell you when you're wrong or not." Um, but I, I recently got a, a surprise interviewing a, a guy who uh, I know him as MVP. He's a pro wrestler. He's yeah. an indie wrestler now, but he used to work for WWE years ago. And on paper, he is different from you and I in, like, the the mo- most ways. Like, me especially. Uh, like, I grew up just just uh, south of Barrie. There was one person of color in my elementary school, three in my high school, and that was it. MVP grew up in Miami. Uh, not... Poor, but not not in the best of neighborhoods. He uh, has traveled the world as a pro wrestler. Before that, he uh, went to prison for what has been described as an Ocean Eleven style, <laughs> like caper on a cruise ship or something. Wow. And he loves Steely Dan. It's not something I would have ever expected. <laughs> and we had the greatest conversation about them ever. And he knew stuff that like uh, their influence on hip hop and stuff that I had no idea about. But it's I, I like to think music is one of those universal unifiers in many ways. Is like it, there, at its best, it really can be yeah. to have a hip hop fan who grew up in that world, loving a, a duo from New York who spent most of their time in L.A. and really did music that you wouldn't think would appeal to anybody but your parents or uh, or, or jazz players or guys or like music geeks. Yeah, Silly Dan's a music geek band. But they did have great big pop hits that sounded really great in the radio, too. So I love them. And they're funny. I, yeah, that was the thing that I was really surprised about. And I guess because they know each other, they in your interview with them, they know each other's timing and bounce off one another. They're kind of like... like a, a duo act. They're, they're like that. And then I liken them uh, in the same way I liken Getty and Alex to uh, of rush to the Marx Brothers, it's that it's almost vaudevillian. It's 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 that left and right hand. It's that ping pong match where they do know each other so well that they can have this little comedy routine, not at your at your expense. But sometimes you don't even need to be there. Mm. <laughs> and then when I asked uh, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan of Steely Dan about the songs they created, and most of the titles we all know because they were big radio hits through the 1970s and even some into the 80s, 90s, 2000s when they made their comeback. They they were so honest and funny. You know, I'd say, mm-hmm. you know, name of song, name of any hit. Hey, 19, I hated it. 
You know, I'm like, come on, you you could do better than that. And, and Donald being so dry, he's like, you'd be surprised. But then they sort of came to the party and gave me. They played good cop, bad cop too. Mm. So you know, admittedly, it made for a lot of fun. Um, and and I didn't put Getty and Alex in the book. Yeah, that kind of reason- surprised me a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I love them. Mm. Maybe I'm just, I've taken them for granted because I've done so many interviews with them. When I interviewed Rush, it was always getting Alex, getting Alex, getting Alex. And it was fun. But my favorite interview with Rush ever was the last one I did with Neil Peart or the most recent one I did with Neil Peart in like 2015. 15? Yeah. And it was just so in-depth and so forthcoming and so well-recorded. I thought that'll be the the sort of rush interview in the book, so I included that one only. And it's a uh, in Neil's case, it's not very common too. It's less common for Neil to speak. I mean, he he likes speaking to Jim Ladd in L.A. from you know the old KLOS days, and and Jim's always been good to Neil and supportive of, of Rush, and and he knows me in the same sort of context. But Neil's always been the most wary in the band of of press at large anyway. Yeah. Um, Not because it's fake news, but because oftentimes it is sensational. And that's why guys like, you know, Lindsey Buckingham resist media and can be a bit bitchy with media. Or Don Henley can resist and be a bit bitchy. Lindsey's in the book, and he was incredibly forthcoming. Let me tell you about that. It was the same trip I went to L.A., the early part of the last decade, post, you know, 2011. I guess that's post 9-11, which is in the 2010s. Okay. Right? I got confused. No, Man, I, time flies, right? Yeah. Post 2001. And uh, I find myself in L.A. to interview Steely Dan and Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay. Which was kind of cool. Mm. Um, same label, as I recall. Um, maybe. I think that's how it went down. They're like, since you're there anyway to interview Fleetwood Mac, sense, yeah. why don't you interview Steely Dan too? It was like one day and then the next. I got in the room with Stevie Nicks, and she was wonderful. I got in the room with Mick Fleetwood, separate interview, and he was wonderful. I'd met neither of them before, so I was pleasantly surprised. I got in the room with Lindsay, and he's such an intense guy and such a great player mm. and such a huge part of Fleetwood Mac since 1975 that I was a little intimidated. And... My recollection of the interview, having laughed, put the special together, and you know, sat on a shelf for more than ten years, when I went to put it together in the audio book, I, I recall it not being fun, and I recalled him being a bit miserable, hmm. and I was so wrong. My recollection had to do with my own insecurities around the oh, interview. Okay. When I listened back, he was really quite humorous at times, forthcoming, engaging, hmm. kind, decent, respectful, colorful. It was a perfect interview. It's in there. And I was so pleasantly surprised by that because I, I thought it was a mess on my part, not his. And sometimes that happens, though. You, yeah. Memory is a tricky thing. It is. And, memory, and especially when you put your like personality involved in it. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that, like... Uh, any interview I do, the minute I leave, I'm like, ah, oh, that was garbage. It was the worst thing I've ever done. Right? It I always feels like the worst thing. Job. Yeah. And, and it's weird because my wife at this point is like, no, you're pretty good at this. And I'm like, ah, I'm okay at best. And in time, you go, I can see how it went well in your eyes. Yeah. There, you know? There's been a couple where I'm, uh, I've gone back and I'm like, you know what? That, that one actually turned out all yeah. right. And the, the the interview I did with Slash was like that. Because I thought like, oh God, I take this like right off the bat. Because he was promoting uh, a movie that he was producing. Like it, it wasn't even really a music interview. I just slid music questions <laughs> into right, it. Right. Because he wanted to speak about the music, but you had to get there through this movie. Yeah. And, and right off the bat, I got the name of the movie wrong. And it, the worst part was, uh, is uh, our listeners can't see it, but I was sitting like we are now. In between us, a giant movie poster. <laughs> and what he rolled with it, turned it into a joke, and I'm like, oh, that, that turned some, out much better some, than I remembered it. Some did. artists are thankfully really nice, and they sense your nervousness or whatever's going on in your head, and they do roll with it, thankfully, because there were moments in, in, in the interviews that are in this book that were like that. You mentioned in you met, do mention in the book that something that I I completely agree Sam. with though is that um, a lot of the time the bigger the superstar the 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 nicest that they are it's, you know, it's and, usually yeah. the people who are trying to claw their way up or at like that middle ground who are the assholes that's usually the way 
when people say, what's the worst interview you ever did? Or what's the, what the worst, you know, artist uh, in your eyes because mm -hmm. they were bitchy or they were this or they were that. And I go, the interesting thing about that is you won't remember their name. Yeah, because they probably never went they, did, they didn't really, you know, they were they were kind of crawling up and they had a hit single and they were on the verge of, but they got in the way of themselves and mm. they and they were shitty to people, including the media, and they didn't last. <laughs> I did the Steve Earle interview, I'd still love to to put in a book someday. And and that was my biggest mistake in that. Here's what happened. Steve Earle comes into the room. And, and he's nice, and we say hello, and I'm going to talk to him about his career and the current record years ago. And and <laughs> two seconds later, the, the buffet table kind of gets rolled in. Oh. And it's early for him. Yeah. We don't usually do interviews at 10, 30, 11 in the morning, but this one was at that time. So he his eye catches and his periphery is, like, focused on the, the, the buffet cart. Yeah. And and, and it, it, I doing it now i would have said hey go and eat and we'll resume in, in 20 minutes or whatever yeah i didn't have the sense years ago to 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 take the opportunity and have the autonomies to say that so he was so preoccupied about his stomach and i don't blame the guy he probably hadn't eaten since before the show the previous day mm -hmm. or whatever so he was preoccupied and i didn't get that much out of him and then we finished and he went and ate and i went home <laughs> you know, you learn through trial and error, and I would love to go back and talk to him again, and maybe someday I will. In uh, right now, have you gotten any second takes on interviews like that? Um, Is there anybody gosh. that you got to got to do a, a Another second go round? At, and like... Well, yeah, you know, the the, the the several times I spoke to Ozzy, each one was I knew more about him, and I knew more about how to do this shit. Sometimes getting a second chance in an interview is a wonderful thing, and, and, and you don't often get it. But I did with Ozzy Osbourne, and I certainly did with Rush, and I did with David Bowie, mm -hmm. and, and I did with some heavy hitters. And it was always nice to revisit and, uh, and kind of do follow-ups on things you'd talked about before, or just have the chance to, to get into another album with them or get into another facet of their career with them, uh, having had the benefit of not being nervous anymore because you already met them yeah. and they were cool. And uh, and just that 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 follow through with a person's career, because you know sometimes people die and you don't get to see them again, and that's super sad. And that's yeah. that's happened a number of times. Jeff Beck, I got a couple of chances at, and I think his interview is one of the most fun in the book because he tells stories about things that people don't even know happened, mm. like how he auditioned to be the new guitar player in the Rolling Stones before Ronnie Wood got the gig. It was Jeff Beck's to say no to, largely, and people don't know that. That would be... I don't know how that would have went. Not well. That, yeah, it wouldn't have. I don't think it would have lasted long. But what have came? What would have came out of it? I think would have, if they had made an album would have been interesting. That one record that he could have done with them would have been, I think, super cool. Um, but yeah, it wasn't to be. Well, he he. We won't give it up. But he says what he thinks would have happened oh, okay. had he become a Rolling Stone, and it's so <laughs> funny. So uh, one of the interesting things that spun off from the book is you uh, you came back to radio as well. You have a syndicated radio show named after the book. Yeah, you know, uh, it must have been, you know, things are meant to happen and things happen when they should. Uh, calling the book Radio Records and Rockstars, when I thought I'd like to do another series now that the book's out, it just, it just seemed obvious the series has to be called Records and Rockstars because it's on the radio and it all just worked. And then I thought, why don't I do a podcast? and call it Records and Rockstars. Because really, I'm just talking about music at all of these yeah. forums, whether it's the book or the radio series or the podcast. We're just talking about tunes and playing them. So the name kind of applies. And, you know, Rockstar, people are like, well, it's not all rock music, and they're not all rock. No, they're not. But Rockstar is, is such a wider connotation. If you do well at, uh, you know, uh, digging a ditch and you're a construction worker, yeah. that, that's a rock star construction guy on our crew today. It, it applies to all walks of life, not just not just music. So the relevance is cool. And the fact that we had a, 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 a revival that seems to be lasting in the world of vinyl records, um, I like the idea of uh, using the word records because it's not a bad word and it, it, it's relevant to people who aren't our age there's mm. kids that are buying records now and i think that's cool i think everybody can relate to it so the uh the interesting thing that i thought of and that i really like is the podcast is 
different from the radio show itself. It's, you're yeah. you're focusing more on smaller artists or independent artists. Was was that like a concerted effort to do that, or did it just kind of fall into your lap that it, way? It evolved because the main reason, Brent, is because back in the day, every legendary band that we know and remember and love, from Pink Floyd to Led Zeppelin to uh, to Aerosmith and on up and down the line, the reason for them to do an interview was typically because they had a new studio record out. That's how you got access. Yep. And a lot of these bands really aren't making records anymore because the record industry has changed and or members have died or, or moved on. You know, when Rick Wright of Pink Floyd died and, and previous to that, Roger Waters had left Pink Floyd. While there was still a band called Pink Floyd making records, they were making far less records mm. and then they were touring far less and then they weren't touring at all and then they weren't making records at all. So there's not a real reason for them to go out and do interviews anymore. And time and time again, that's been the case. So access decreased. You might get Neil Peart once in a while when he puts a book out. You might get Steven Tyler once in a while when he does a solo record, but you're not getting the access anymore. But I still want to talk about music. So I thought, well, there's lots of great bands out there that aren't known that will come in and see me in this studio that we're sitting in right now and talk about tunes and bring their guitar or bring their piano and play. I don't care whether it's known or unknown. If it turns you on, if you connect with it, it's worth playing and talking about and shining a light on. So yeah, Rebecca Rain last week, this, this sort of country artist, not Nashville country that's cookie cutter cliche, but actually good heartfelt songs that throw back to legends of country mm -hmm. like your emmy lose um i had her in people are like oh you're into country now no i'm into good songs yes she happens to have a country twang and a bit of a country feel but she's great or a blues artist or a jazz artist or a pop artist or an alternative rock artist if you have to put a box around it those are the genres but i don't really give a shit if the song sounds cool and you're a nice person come on in and we'll talk that's the podcast you're right Relative unknowns, um, although, you know, uh, uh, the podcast features James Hetfield and Metallica, and the <laughs> podcast features uh, Susie McNeil, who sings with Steven Tyler, yeah. and the podcast features the guys from Finger Eleven, who started an offshoot band called Blackie Jacket Jr., and it features Scott Hellman, who's a pop star, but I just thought he was a cool pop star, so I had him in. So it's all over the map. And it's something different than what you get on the radio. So yeah. the podcast is doing well. Records and rock stars, and people seem to really dig it. I I, I have been. <laughs> well, thank I'm one, you. I'm one of the I'm one of the people. Who thank likes you. It. <laughs> it's, it's kind of you. I mean, and there's no time limit. I mean, the show is an hour. Yeah. Or 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 if a feature might be a couple of minutes in the radio, but the podcast we kind of sit here and talk until we're done, and then they play a few songs and go home. Typically, it's up to an hour. And if you're into it in the first 10 minutes, you're probably into it for the rest of the hour because you know, something about this artist has piqued your interest. And they're so honest, too, when they're younger. And, and they, haven't yeah. really, they haven't really set a vision for themselves as an artist. So they're kind of wide open and kind of fun to help mold their career in whatever way I can as a fan and a guy who's been around it for a long time. So I make little suggestions like you should tour, you know, in Europe or you should, yeah. you should get this producer or you should go and do this gig at this venue because you, you people will love you. And, and then I get to follow up with them in six months or a year. And they're like, I did that thing you suggested and it, and it went really well. <laughs> so there's great satisfaction for me as a host at seeing the development of these artists who came in here early on. I always say, I'll be able to say I remember, you know, I met you before yeah. he became this thing. I've gotten lucky like that, and uh, I do a lot of stuff with comic book people, like artists and yeah. writers, and I've gotten lucky that way where it's like I've done panels with people that when they're just starting out, and I'm like, yeah, that guy's going somewhere. I don't know about the other two, but that guy right there, he, and it, like six months later, I'll get the email of, uh, look what I'm doing, and it's like a, a prelim cover for something at Marvel that they're doing, and the, they're careers have just skyrocketed and I, I always joke with one of the, the one of the guys in particular it's like i gave you the rub <laughs> when i do that you go places <laughs> that's fun <laughs> so what's next i guess is the the before we uh 
and we closed this sort of chapter. What, yeah. What's in the future? Do you got another book in you, you think? I think I do. I'm not sure that it's uh, the same sort of book. Because I do have maybe 25, 30 interviews still in the can that I didn't include in this book. I guess they weren't in this first book for a reason. Some of my Pearl Jam interviews are really exciting as a Pearl Jam fan. Mm. And and I, and I got, you know, Eddie and Stone from the band the first time back in 98. And uh, it's 20 years ago, isn't it? So while the essence of those guys is the, the essence you get today, there was a view of men who were 20 years younger and yeah. 20 years earlier in the Pearl Jam career. So it's kind of cool to go back and hear their thoughts the consistencies with their thoughts today and the ones that they've probably walked away from that would be fun to hear so i'm still pondering whether it's another interview book or whether it's something completely different i've, I've actually thought about writing uh, fiction because you know the book's non-fiction 98 percent of it mm. <laughs> 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 i only say that maybe two percent isn't because you know don't let the facts get in the way of a good story yeah but very little of that exists in the book. But I would love to go and do something completely fiction, completely off the wall, completely separate from all of this. And it might be, you know, filthy um, erotica written in a pseudonym. I don't know. Yeah. You have to challenge yourself and do something sometimes completely different. Mm. And the artist in the book that pushed me down that road was Bowie. He's like, sometimes you have to blow it up and do something completely different. And even if you fall flat in your face, it was worthwhile because then it's a catalyst to push you in yet another direction that you were supposed to be. He said he was never afraid of failing. He thought, in fact, failure was an integral part of the process. Yeah. So maybe I'll fail, maybe I won't, but it might be a total 180 next. But I'll keep the podcast going and I'll keep the radio show <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah. No, definitely get like, and you seem to be enjoying it, right? So I, I really am. The podcast, for all the reasons I explained, and the radio show, because radio for its homogenization to a certain degree uh, in North America still gives you the opportunity, if you're lucky, and I am, to play some songs that you don't hear every day on the radio mm. and to tell some stories. Um, to give those songs context that people really enjoy hearing about the story behind the music and then they go wow I haven't heard that song in a long time and I'm really glad you played it you turned me on to something I'd forgotten about or you turned me on to something I've never even heard playing a track from the late 70s off the early Dire Straits records you're like I know that voice yeah it's Mark Knopfler yeah he had massive hits but he also had this song called Water of Love I had this married couple reach out on, on email through my website on the contact page. This gentleman who had heard, heard my show for years and, 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 and once in a while contacted me, contacted me after I played Water of Love by Dire Straits uh, on my weekly radio series, Records and Rockstars. And he goes, my God, I was on my honeymoon, my new, my new you know, wonderful partner, and we heard you play Water of Love and it changed us in the drive. We heard this song and it was, it was trans transcendent. It changed us. And well, that's a pretty big statement. A song yeah. changed you. But we've all had those songs. We hear them the first time. And depending on where we are and where we are in our life, they have the power to kind of put you somewhere else or mm. put you in a frame of mind you never expected. So that felt really good. Playing songs that you don't hear all the time that really absolutely end up changing someone's perspective such that they get in touch with you to tell you that and thank you for it. That's why I do radio. Any uh, white whale interviews out there still? Is there someone? Is there someone you want to grab? I think last time. Who was my little was, list last I time? I was trying to think. I think was Dylan on it. Christ, Petty was probably on it then, and Petty oh, since uh, died. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And and, and my old joke because I've heard it before is they'd get uh, Petty and you get Dylan because Bob respects Petty and yeah. Bob will probably do it if if Tom told him it was a good idea. Um. I always said Paul, but, you know, Paul can be forthcoming about his life and career, but more often than not, he's not. It's, yeah, it's pretty it's, light. Yeah. Right? It's, it's promoting whatever he's promoting and yeah. then, like, anecdotes you've heard about the Beatles. Like a million yeah. Times. You're not going to get a lot of fresh stuff with Paul, so I've sort of given up my you know, wish list with, 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 with Paul. I've already spoken to Ringo. John's gone. George is gone. Uh, 
be kind of neat to speak to Jeff Lynn because of his access to Tom Petty and his access to Dylan and Orbison and um, the fact that he, it being an ELO and the fact that he was a huge Beatles fan. And that would be kind of cool. Maybe you could get something out of him. I've often thought about, you know, the guys in Queen, which is a big topic right now, yeah. too. But I'd probably want to speak to uh, the one that nobody hears about anymore, oh, John, John, Deacon. John Deacon, kind of the dark horse that yeah, went away the, from the he, project. He retired, like, outright, and it sounds like the only like he's involved with, like, financial decisions, yeah, and that's yeah. kind of where he stops. Yeah, kind of right out of things. Which, in some ways, I, I sort of respect that. Like, I, I, like the fact that he, like, I'm done. And that's like, um, you know, I, I will still make money off of the legacy that I built. Because I was a huge part of it. Yeah. But he got to the top of the mountain. Then what? Maybe do something else. There are a few bands out there, and we all know them, that you just kind of go, really? You're still, you're still beating that? Flogging that? Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't judge them and, and say they shouldn't be doing it. No. Do whatever the hell you want, but I don't need to necessarily go and see it. I love when the fact that a Roger Waters or a David Gilmore or David Bowie, rest his soul, did try new stuff. And when you went to their show, they did some of it, and some of it was highly worthwhile. Mm. And then they did something classic, and then you know everybody was happy. Yeah, and I think Bowie's like for me, Bowie is the one that really sort of tops that one that i'm i'm not sure if i ever would have had a chance to interview him but now obviously i don't yeah right yeah and, and his last two albums for a guy who was on his way out like knew he was on his way out put that much effort into it when you know he, he could have just stayed at home and just you know, maybe put out two singles or something like that. And then but. toured once in a while. He's sort of a greatest hits show. Yeah. You know, um, but he didn't. And I, I respect him even more. It's funny, though, when new albums come out, no matter how superstar the act is, they can be legitimately good. But we don't have the benefit of listening to them, having listened to them multiple times. And mm. when I say multiple, we've all heard the Dark Side of the Moon record six million times. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's still a perfect record. But when uh, when when David Gilmore and Pink Floyd or David Bowie or, or or Mick and Keith put a new record out, while they're not all going to be home runs, more of them are than we give them credit for. Mm. Because we hear it once and we don't connect right away. But we never connected right away with many songs. Sometimes it took three, six, ten, twelve, thirty, a hundred plays before you really got it and you could sing along to it. And you and, and you know it was part of your your language, it doesn't come overnight all the time. And that's why you hear people say, oh, music's not like it used to be. No, you know what? You're not like you used to be either. Yeah. We used to give stuff a chance. You'd buy the record, you'd listen to all the cuts, and you'd play it, and you'd play it, and you'd play it, and you'd, and you'd become real familiar with it, and it would grow on you, and it would become one of your so-called classics. That doesn't just happen on one play. You have to give stuff a chance. So when I first heard Heathen by David Bowie, the record I first interviewed him for, I didn't get it. Mm. I put it on the other day. I got it enough to interview him because I, yeah. I resonated with a few of the songs quite a bit. But I put it on the other day when my girlfriend was over and she hadn't heard it yet. I go, check this out. And it felt like a classic album to me, yet it came out in 2002. And it didn't get any radio airplay to speak of. But now it's so close to my heart because I gave it all these plays and it did become part mm. of the fabric of who I am as a music fan. You got to give stuff a chance. I think that's part of the problem with the business of pop culture in on a whole. The throwaway. Yeah, is, yeah, or if it doesn't do X amount, it was a failure. Even though, like, anybody would, like, in album sales, if it doesn't do this amount of sales, it was a failure. Even though anybody coming up the ranks would kill for that kind of sales. What? Same with film, too. If it doesn't make, like, if it's not the, the number one at the box office for three weeks, now it's considered a failure. If it's no. not known to be a success in the traditional traditional yeah. sense of what a success is, you know, top of the charts or, or big box office smash. Here, I think this would be the difference of... of if you put if you put all these people that said oh that record wasn't very good or that movie mm. didn't really impress me, put them in the screening room for that film. 
before it comes out. Put them in the studio to hear the record before it comes out. Put them in a context that they're not used to being in, and they would be blown away by that thing that they might otherwise dismiss. I was I was listening to alternate tracks um, from all the Pink Floyd records at Electric Lady Studios in New York, okay. the studios that Hendrix built. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you heard them on the radio, you know... With, you know, you just popped into a station and somebody was playing an alternate track of Wish You Were Here and it had saxophone instead of, instead of, or had violin instead of guitar. You might just kind of bypass it and go, oh, that's kind of neat. If you're in the studio in a context that's bold and big and loud mm. and on hi-fi gear, that's the other problem with music. People have gotten real small. They got rid of their big speakers. They got rid of their turntables. They got yep. rid of their big amplifiers. And they're listening to music on their phone with earbuds. Shit. Which nine times out of ten are pieces of shit. <laughs> it can be. It doesn't give you the same experience. Yeah. So the way we hear things changes the context in which we accept them and receive them. I think sometimes you got to get back to the, the, the old days of high fidelity. It doesn't mean you have to go and buy two babs that no, are vintage, but, but get, get a nice set of speakers that are, that are at least two feet off the floor yeah. and, and get a proper old stereo. If you're downloading stuff from iTunes, go with the higher bit rate. Like the, the go with the higher bit rate like or, or go buy 180 gram vinyl and put it yeah. on like we used to. And I, I, I guarantee that your experience will be enriched by that hearing records the way you know what they used to say on vinyl records very commonly whether it was kate bush or acdc three words on the label play it loud Mm. and they said that because we recorded it to be enjoyed at this volume yeah in the studio we were cranking this shit out and we were hitting playback and it was meant to be heard that way. This is not to be played quietly on an MP3 through a through a through a handheld device, or through your laptop speakers, or through your laptop speakers. Right? That's why I have these Tannoys, these you know, studio quality speakers, so I can hear the music the way it was meant to be heard. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think the, you know, there was a, a shot there for a little bit to maybe convert people with that. What was Neil Young's system? Pono. Yeah, and that just. Apple bought it and went away. I think it was Apple. Yeah. Somebody bought and uh, buy it and bury it. And then... Buy it and bury it. Neil had had great hopes for it, and, yeah. and his and his intentions were wonderful. And it I would... still think that idea is a good one. It is. Just... Things get mired by technical, and they get mired by there's just too many other uh, ducks flying by your window to notice them all. Shiny new things. There's a lot of shiny new things coming out every day in the, <laughs> the modern technological world, and we're going to miss a lot of them, and certainly Pana was one of them. Yeah. Um, so before I let you go, what are you listening to right now? What's on, what's on the oh, Jeff Woods man, uh, it's, it's so playlist? funny. Whenever I get asked this question, and, and, and artists hate this question, I don't hate it, um, but artists hate it because it's when they leave and go back to their house that they go, I should have said this and this and this oh, and this yeah. and this and this and this. In the moment, you can't think of anything that's really resonating. I am a creature of habit, and while I do discover a ton of music on satellite through the channel called Spectrum, mm. like the new the new uh, Mumford and Sons came out this week. Yeah, I didn't have any idea that it was there until I I've made it sort of my mission now that uh, there's a sunrise near me. So every Friday I'll go out and check out and, and see, see what's, what's new. Yeah, I might not necessarily pick something up, but I'll, I'll at least see what's new. And I was like, I didn't have any idea this was on its way. I'm I'm the same way. Marcus Mumford, I think, is one of the greatest voices. Is is one of the most. He sounded to me on a couple songs. There was a couple live versions they had done at the studio, mm. and there was the whole new record, and they're playing it sporadically through the weekend. And "Lover of the Light" is is a song from a previous record, and they did it live, and I just thought. That's like Bono in 1987 when when uh, Joshua Tree came out. He sounds of that uh, texture, quality, um, uh, relevance, mm. um, uh, passion, depth. One of the greatest voices currently, I think. So I'm a Mumford and Sons freak, and this is their fourth album. Everything they do is great. Um, I love that, but I keep going back to like Ryan Adams. Yeah. And and I, I'm still trying to turn people on to Ryan Adams, whose first question is, is Brian Adams? No, you know, there's, <laughs> no, no, he's a, no. He's a dozen albums deep, and yet, yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's still not known by some people of our age. Didn't, I'm trying to, didn't he do a Brian Adams cover? He thing? probably a, did. Kind of a joke, but. I could be wrong, but I think they share a birth date. 
too. Mm. And back in the day when people would be at a Ryan Adams concert, people would shout out, Brian, please, summer of 69. Oh, and he would want to murder them. Yeah. But I think he got past that because we all grow up. But Ryan Adams records, um, Ashes and Fire, Ashes and Fire, Dirty Rain. These songs are monumental. And they're more than a decade old now. But yeah. they're really good. And I go to a Columbia artist named Pete Yorn, who's had more than a half dozen records out. Mm. And I go back and listen to all of them with frequency. So not new artists necessarily, but I kind of go for those underdogs who made yeah. great records that didn't get noticed to the degree that I thought they should have. And these guys are all touring, but kind of under the radar because they're not filling Smaller out. Smaller places yeah. and clubs. And... That sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I go to a lot of live venues still and hear stuff that you otherwise wouldn't hear because you wouldn't have heard about it. Yeah. Some venues just have a knack for booking cool new stuff. There's one in Collingwood near where I live called Crow. And once a week, no, no hesitation, I'll go and discover someone that I otherwise wouldn't have known about. And it's really good. And they do record music. So that's kind of fun. Thanks a lot. Hey, it was, <laughs> it's always nice to see you. I'm glad that you can put a spotlight on this on this content for lack of a better word really interviews with rock stars whose music you know but when you get to know them on a deeper level as you will by listening to their interviews it really um it gives you more it gives you more of an insight into why they made the songs they made yeah so enjoy the book i know you're halfway oh, through I, it i'm about halfway through <laughs> i mean i think i'm digging it more than the the written book not that you did a bad job with the written book but to hear the actual interviews well you can close it, your eyes and listen to the the interviews without yeah. having to think and having to to, to strain your eyes because we spend way too much time in front of our computer screens and uh, our handheld devices checking out you know instagram accounts <laughs> following all the things we follow yeah. my eyes are bleary at the end of every day and i wake up bleary eyed because we spend too much time looking at stuff i think the audiobook is a, is a great format to just close your eyes and kind of get lost in uh, somebody telling you stories and that was my interview with jeff woods uh like i said jeff's really honest and uh, pretty cool dude um, I encourage you, if you uh, liked this interview and uh, what you've heard about the book, uh, you can uh, go out and grab it for yourself. If you're wondering for all things Jeff Woods, you can go to his website, which is jeffwoodsradio.com. Um, from there, there are links to get uh, the audio version of the book, uh, which is available on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. It includes, you know, the the interviews. It includes stories of his life. It it's a great listening or a great listen. Um, I and I don't say that just because I like Jeff. I say that because it's the truth. It's it's an interesting story that you won't hear anywhere else. With a lot of really good interviews with some of the biggest musicians to ever exist in the world of rock. Um, speaking of which, so, uh, Jeff, uh, being my, uh, friend, uh, did something nice, and, uh, remember what we talked about, uh, in the interview, uh, he mentioned that Jeff Beck, uh, world-renowned guitarist, had auditioned for the Rolling Stones. Well, uh, Jeff sent me over part of the interview that he did with Jeff Beck, uh, where that comes up. Uh, for the full thing, you will have to go and get the audiobook of uh, Radio Records and Rockstars. But uh, if you want another taste, here you go. And uh, like I said, if you like this, go and uh, get a copy for yourself. When Mick Taylor left the Stones, did you, for the record, did you jam with the boys? Was there any yeah. talk? Was it for real? It was put to me that the Stones would love you to go over and do some recording. Jam, whatever it was. However it was presented, that's, there was no indication that they would wanted me to join. And after a couple of days of not seeing anybody except for the road manager, I began to get a bit hot around the collar because I was supposed to be back in London starting the Blow by Blowout. Georgia, Martin had already shaken hands on, on the deal and I thought that a day, a weekend in Rotterdam with the Stones would be fun. Uh, when we finally got to jam together, I realised it was never to be. I mean, my style was highly charged and, and speedy, you know. I was into the McLaughlin 
and the George stuff was already patterned out, you know, we already sketched all, all the ideas. And the career was like the crossroads in my life. When they said, look, where are you going? And I said, well, I've got to go to, back to London. They said, what are you talking about? You're here now. So I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't understand. They said, well, you see those guitars over there? There was a stack of guitars about 10 feet high. All those people were due to come over to, to audition. I said, well, have, have fun. They said, no, no, we've told them not to come now that you're here. So <laughs> so I looked at the labels and they were all over the States and they were labeled, you know, flight labels from all over. And I said, I'm terribly sorry, but you better call them up and tell them to come because, uh, you know, I can't make it. So that was the end of that sad thing. But I think we did cut some stuff. Such a phase is the sexy. This episode of True North Nerds was not recorded in Barrie, Ontario. In fact, it was recorded in Jeff Wood's studios in his comfy home. Thanks again to Jeff Woods for the interview. If you want to follow more of True North Nerds things, you can find us on pretty much everything on Instagram under True North Nerds, on Twitter at True North Nerds, Gmail, True North Nerds at gmail.com. You can just send us stuff. We, we like free things. We like email. We like messages. If you're liking what you hear, feel free to go to iTunes and rate and review these episodes. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. It's the way we read your books that